Before we get into today's teaching, I'm going to be in the book of James again. We're doing a series called Anything But Normal, all right? And we're looking at the book of James. So if you want to open your Bible to James chapter 1, before we do that, I want us to pray for our country. You know, the, the, the forces that are tearing our country apart right now are powerful, they're systemic, they are deeply rooted in, in, in unhealthy things. But there is a force that is greater than all those forces of division, anger, and hate, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and you know what? I, I have made myself a rule that I'm not going to complain about anything that I haven't prayed about. How many think that's a good rule? I have violated my own rule many times in, in the interest of full disclosure. It's so easy to complain about it. My seven-year-old boy looked at me the other day. He said, Dad, you ought to be president. <laughs> I remember telling my own granddaddy that many years ago after he had complained about everything in the country. I thought he probably knew all the answers, and I thought I have become my papa. Okay, now I'm complaining about everything. I want to pray about it. You know, we watched, uh, unfortunately, the senseless killing of, of an African-American man who was defenseless and just slaughtered. There is no excuse for it. It's horrible. And people are rightly angry about it. They're, I'm angry about it. I'm frustrated about it. We want to see something change. Unfortunately, it's been followed up by more senseless violence that doesn't help the problem at all. It only makes it worse. I wish we had great leaders in, in all communities, rising up and bringing unity together. It seems like our leaders are more intent on dividing us than anything else. So what we've got to do is be the church. We've got to pe be the people who believe for better days. We've got to be the people who put this thing on the altar of God and pray about it. And, and you know, the first thing I want to pray about is my attitude, you know, because I've got an opinion about all of it. I can tell you exactly how to fix it all. I can tell you what the white leaders ought to do, the black leaders ought to do, the Hispanic leaders ought to do, the Congress ought to do, the president ought to do. I know what everybody ought to do. A lot of you are like me. You got your own opinions. But no, none of those opinions is just right. We're all wrong in some ways. We're probably all right in some ways. But God knows exactly what needs to be done. We need to take it to him. So would you just join me right now at all of our campuses, everybody online, let's take a minute and let's pray a prayer of agreement together. Would you join me? Father, I just lift up our nation to you right now. I thank you, God. I believe the words of Ronald Reagan that this country is the last best hope for freedom in the world. You have given us a gift, and God, it's our responsibility to steward that gift well and not let the forces of racism and bigotry and, and, and other uh, uh, hatred and hateful acts tear that gift apart. And so, Father, we put ourselves on the altar and say, sanctify our minds, purify our motives, and heal us first, God. And then, God, bring healing to George Floyd's family. God, bless that family and that whole community that is hurting and angry. And God, I pray that you would raise up bastions of truth and reconciliation in our nation, God. We repent of our wrong thoughts and wrong actions, and we, God, ask you to lead us into the paths of righteousness for an entire nation, God. And Lord, we realize we won't ever get it right enough. We won't fix it enough. Your healing has to make it happen. So we ask you to heal our land. Your word says that if we, your people, will humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, 
Then you will hear us from heaven. You will forgive our sins and you will heal our land. We are humbling ourselves now and we are praying and we expect your healing to flow in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. Let me ask you to make that same pledge. In fact, I'm just, since I got you here, I'll just get you to say it out loud. It'd be really awkward if you don't say it now. Here's, say, it, say it with me. I make the pledge not to complain until I pray. Lord, help me, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. It's not going to be easy, okay, but that's our goal. Pray about it before you complain about it. Hey, today we're talking about the oldest problem humanity has. It goes all the way back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and it's temptation. And the book of James is the perfect example of what a believer ought to be. I believe, and I've said many times from this platform, that the local church is the hope of the world. You want to fix the world? Fix the church, because we've got the goods. Can you say amen? We know the Savior of the world. We know the Creator. We know that the Creator puts spiritual gifts, special gifts, anointing, talents, and abilities in every person's heart. Every great leader that ever changed the world leaned on those gifts God put inside of them. And if we can teach people and help people to meet the Creator, to come to know Jesus, and they can follow his word, it'll solve the problems of the world. I'm telling you. So the first best thing for us to do is find out who we're supposed to be in this book. So we're just going to take it verse by verse, line by line. We'll take about six verses today from James chapter one, beginning in verse number 12. It says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Everybody say amen. amen. Okay, we thank God for the reading of his word. That first verse there says that when we persevere under trial, when we overcome, we get a crown of life. So here's the facts. Temptation comes. You get a chance to cave into the temptation or to overcome the temptation. And God promises when you overcome, you get a crown of life. Now, that, that little Greek phrase, it's an interesting phrase. It literally means a prize, and the prize is abundant or purposeful life. Abundant life. Everybody say abundant life. That's what God wants you to have. He says that I've come to give you not just life, but abundant life, big life, life that makes a difference. And when you overcome temptation, let's just let's reverse engineer it. When you cave into temptation, bad things happen. Now, can I get an amen only from the people who have ever caved into temptation? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Uh, that sounded like all of y'all. That's good. That's good. We're starting off really good. When you cave into temptation, bad stuff happens. I mean, it just gets worse. Things get, when you decide to lie, the only solution to lying is you got to lie again to cover up the last lie. Can I get an amen to that, right? It always gets worse when we, when we cave into temptation. The Bible says, on the other hand, if you can overcome it, you get a crown of life. You get abundant life. And that's what Jesus started out uh, his ministry saying. I have, he said, the thief has come, Satan has come to steal, 
kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life more abundantly. So, so what we want to do is figure out how to not get the death and the destruction of temptation. We want to overcome the temptation and get abundant life. Now, how do I beat temptation? And so here's the fact. Temptation is coming your way. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you, in fact, I'm going to give you a sentence that has three parts to it, and that's the whole message, okay? One sentence, three parts. Here's the first part. Temptation is coming. That's the first part. If you're taking notes, write that down. Temptation is coming. The Bible didn't say if you're tempted. Verse 13 says when you're tempted. You don't outgrow temptation. You don't get spiritual enough that you'll never be targeted by temptation. You don't get old enough that you'll never be targeted. You're going to always be tempted. Some people think once you're born again, you never think any evil thoughts anymore. That's not true whatsoever. In some ways, I think Satan chases after you more because you become a threat to his kingdom of darkness when, when God has forgiven you. And you know you've been washed and you're purified and you've been accepted by God. Man, you're more likely to share that news with somebody else. You're less likely to judge somebody who's where you used to be because you know how God brought you out of that place. And Satan doesn't like that, so he'll tempt you sometimes even more because of that. See, when you overcome a test, write this down. This is a great line. When you overcome the test, you get a testimony. You get to say, man, that's where I used to be. I used to have an addiction problem. I used to be angry all the time. I used to walk in depression and I've always expected the worst case scenario, but God brought me out of that. And when you start testifying that, testimony is contagious, y'all. You start telling people what God's done in your life, it starts making them believe God could do the same thing in their lives. And so the enemy says, I got to shut that down. And he's going to send you even more. When you overcome, you become a bigger threat to the enemy. See, we all have sin issues. And when we overcome, when we start winning, we get a testimony. Now, the Bible says our sin issues are normal. Everybody say normal. You're not a terrible person. You're not a, uh, you know, awful person because you have, have temptation. First Corinthians 10 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. Your temptation is common and normal. In fact, the book of Hebrews even says Jesus was tempted. Okay. In every way that we have been tempted yet without sin. So temptation is coming. Here's the second part of that sentence from the enemy. Don't blame your temptation on God. The Bible says, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. No, your temptation is a result of a fallen, sinful world. You don't have to go looking for temptation. Temptation will come find you. Can you say amen to that? Pick up your phone. There's 50 different ways for you to be tempted right on the screen of your phone. Go out into the world and the community. They're constantly trying to tempt you. Men, young men, I, I'm raising a young boy, seven years old. I, I'm, I'm constantly aware of the temptation, the visual temptation that is out there to lure men's eyes and minds into a sexually deviant place. Women, don't let yourself be used by something like that. Men, don't let yourself go down that path. You don't have to look for it. It's looking for you and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. In many ways, when I was a little kid, if you wanted to go down that path, you had to at least work at it a little bit. You don't have to work at it now. It comes chasing after you. I know we got little kids in the room. I'm staying on a high level. Pay attention. Okay, I pay attention. You know what I'm saying. So you're not going to have to go and look for the temptation. It's coming after you. But I, I'll give you the advice my aunt gave me. When I was just a little boy in kids' church, she gave me this little advice about temptation, about thoughts, your thought life. She said, just remember this, Jerry. 
You can never stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest in your hair. That's good advice. Temptation crosses your screen. You're going to see it. You're going to have an opportunity to think about it. And you can say, man, that bird's not for me. Or you can pick up twigs and leaves and make a home for him in your head. Now, let's say, be honest. Some of us, we make a home for him. Say, oh, me. Come and say, oh, me. If you don't want to say amen, you say, oh, me. That's a different word you say. When you make a home for him, when you just let that, that, that evil thought take roost in your head, that's when it becomes a sin. It's not a sin to think wrong thoughts. It's not a sin to have an evil uh, thought. It's a sin to brood over it, to want it, to desire it. And eventually that produces sin in your life. Temptation's coming, okay? Uh, But it didn't come from God. Don't blame it on God. The truth of the matter is, I'm usually my worst enemy. I bring on most of my problems. And, And you're probably your worst enemy as well. So I'm tempted, sin's after me, I need to be ready for it. Here's the third part of that sentence. Temptation is coming from the enemy when you least expect it. Think about that. Temptation is not going to knock on your door, say, hey, is now a good time to tempt you? Or should I come back later, you know? It's not going to shoot you a text message, hey, I'm coming over at 3 o'clock, get your prayer group ready, you know, read your Bible and be ready for this temptation. That's not how it goes down, y'all. It's when you least expect it. That's why Peter writes, be on your guard because it's coming. That's, that's why Paul wrote the words, put on the whole armor of God so you can withstand the attacks of the enemy. Jesus said, watch and pray so you don't enter into temptation. It's like there's a door open to temptation. You can walk right in it or you can watch and pray and be ready for it. See, Satan uses deception to get you in. James says, But each person is tempted, verse 14, when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Don't be deceived. Everybody circle the word deceived. Remember how I say deceived. Don't be deceived. He's deceptive in his ways. Sneaks around with you. Satan's a deceiver. He plots along. And he's very patient. You know, I've got a group of men that that we, we work to keep each other strong. I've been friends with them for a lot, for many, many years. And uh, we talk a lot. We get together a couple times a year, maybe, but we talk on text message all the time. And we talk about, you know, things that don't matter, like football or politics or whatever, or fishing. But we also talk about things like being a strong leader, being a, a family man, and overcoming temptation. And, and I was talking to these guys about from the Proverbs one time, and I got this vision in my head. You know, the Bible talks about the enemy laying in a ditch. And I think he does that particularly well against men. By the way, small group session is about to start. We're going to have some uh, men's groups in every campus, okay? Uh, men's ministry called Iron Men from, from the proverb that says, like iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. You'll be hearing more about that. I want you men to be in a part of that. Here's what Satan will do to men. He'll lay in a ditch and wait for you for a really long time. He's got plenty of time. He's waiting on his opportunity to embarrass you. You might be victorious in a lot of ways. You might rise to the top. You might be a leader in a lot of ways. He's fine with that. In fact, the higher you rise, the more attractive you become to him. And he'll just wait and lay motionless in that ditch until you pass a little bit too close and he'll reach out and trip you. And that's why you need to know at all times, the Bible says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. 
It's like I, I read about a guy back in 1911, jumped in a, a, a wooden barrel, went over, he's a stuntman, went over Niagara Falls, came out of it unscathed, got his picture taken in the New York Times. It was a big deal. Two days later, he slipped on an orange peel and broke his leg. You think you got, that's just like how Satan works. You think you've got it beat. You think you've overcome it all, and he's waiting on you in that moment. So, so how do I make sure I don't, I, I don't get caught? Now, this is a very interesting verse. It's a kind of hustled up through everything else to get you to this point. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. See, see he has a little pattern that he works with. And if you're, if you're careful, you can see that pattern working in your own life. And when that pattern starts, you can call time out and say, no, this is not for me. I'm not going down this path. See, there's a scripture that says, be sure your sins will fi- be assured. Be, be aware, in other words. Your sins will find you out. In other words, they'll catch up to you. You ever had a sin catch up to you? Don't say, man, just sit there real holy and somber. You're doing great at that, by the way. I was having, I was having lunch with a leader in our church uh, an elder in our church just this, this week, and he told me about uh, a story of, of, of him lying when he was a little boy. He's, he's, he's an older gentleman. He said when he was just a little kid, the thing he hated worst of all was that it was his dad would make him uh, shuck corn. And he put his, his dad put him and his, his sister there shucking corn one day. You each have to shuck a, you, you each have to shuck a, a bushel of corn. So he's got his bushel and he's working and she's got her and he hated it. And she got up and when she got up and went somewhere, he just starts throwing his corn over in her bushel. She's got most of hers done. He's done almost none. And he just rearranges all the stuff so that when his dad comes back, she hadn't been doing anything. Well, she says, no, he lied. He got my corn and he lies and said, no, I didn't. And so uh, this dad did what a lot of good dads do when they just throw their hand and said, okay, I'm whipping everybody. Till somebody tells the truth. And so she got it for no reason. Well, he said 30 or 40 years later, he was in a job interview, high level job that required him to take a polygraph or lie detector test. And they asked him all these weird questions. And one of the questions was, have you ever told a lie that harmed someone else? He quickly said, nobody's mine. Immediately went back 30 years earlier. And he said, I guess that would qualify He just was quiet about it. (laughs) They finished the polygraph and they found out that at that moment, the thing went crazy. And the guy says, hey, seems like you told a lie. And so he had to tell that story after 30 years. He had to tell that story. I just looked around and realized that man was in this room right now. Can I tell your story, Terry? (laughs) Okay. Said the thing went crazy. And um, it's a good way to get permission is when you're in live in the moment. Said the thing went crazy, he had to go back and take the test again. And after having told them, I'm happy to announce that Terry passed the test. That was the only time he had lied and hurt somebody else. But it reminds me of this reality. It may take 10 or 20 or 30 years, but your sins will cost you something. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. It's always going to cost you something. And it's not God in heaven going, oh, see there, I finally got you. It's not that at all. It's God in heaven saying there's a better way. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I, I realize this. Every time your Bible says don't, what God is actually saying is don't hurt yourself. He's never saying don't have a good time. Don't enjoy life. He's saying don't go down that path because there's a better path for you. So let me, let, me, let me finish up by telling you how to recognize that wrong path. 
It's a four-step pattern. James just told us what it was. I'm going to give it all to you at one time. So if you're writing this down, it goes like this. Desire happens first. You see something, you think, I, I, I want to do that. I want to cut this corner. I want to have that thing. Then deception happens second. Deception is, hey, this is good for me. This is what I really need. Oh, I, I'm not that bad a person. A lot of people do worse than that. Or I can just get close. I won't really go there. Desire, deception. Then the disobedience happens. That's when sin happens. And the Bible says the next thing to happen is death. In fact, I just read you that four-step journey. James talks about it right here. And I think it starts in verse number 15 or 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, there's step one, we desire something. We're dragged away and enticed. There's the deception. We think it's for us. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. There's the disobedience. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That's the next thing. It, it's the death of our dreams. Whatever you're working on, it all happens now. Here's, here's the simple fact. It happens so quickly. You can see it in your own life. I saw it online. I saw a video of a church member sinning online. We've queued up that video for you here today. It, you can see all four steps. It, it, and actually in this video is our own Tamika Campbell, a worship leader at our church, and her little boy, Levi, precious little boy. And she gives him what they're calling the toddler challenge. Have you seen this stuff online? Watch closely as Levi is tempted and tested and watch the desire produce deception, disobedience, and he feels death in his little heart. Watch this video real quick. Sit down. Mama. Yeah, sit down. Okay. No. Hey, listen, sit down for me. Sit down. Okay, listen. Levi, listen to mommy. You want Oreos? Yes? Don't eat them. Okay, I've got to go potty. I'll be right back. Nope, look, don't eat them, okay? Wait till mommy gets oh, back. Look. What? Ow. Okay, when mommy gets back, you can have them, okay? But don't touch them, okay? Hang on one second, I gotta go potty. Don't touch him. Desire is already here. Watch how good sin feels. Watch this real carefully. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then death. Me. You're not supposed to eat it. Mm. No. Why did you eat it? Mm. Oh. Oh, give Levi a hand. Thank you for. I did get permission to show that video. <laughs>
Yeah, if you're honest, have you seen yourself sitting there just like little Levi? Maybe it, maybe it was in front of Oreos. We got a whole box of Oreos, by the way, for Levi for letting us show that video. Just be aware we've given him a whole box of Oreos. But have you seen yourself in front of that same challenge, that same test? Desire leads to deception, which leads to disobedience, and it leads to death. You could even see it in little, little Levi's heart. His highest goal at this point in his life is to earn the love and respect and the trust of his mother. And he felt like he lost that and you could see death. That's just what sin does to us. It takes us to a place of destruction. And it's not God saying, I don't want you to have the Oreos. It's God saying, I don't want you to hurt yourself. I want you to have what I have even better for him. And Levi's, we got him a big old box of the big ones, y'all. God's plan is always better. Let me give you a one-step path out of, this, out of, out of temptation. It's a word. I'm just calling it a pivot. Everybody say pivot, pivot, P-I-V-O-T. Everybody say pivot. You have to pivot and you actually can see James doing this after he gives you all these words about sin. The next verse we just read verse 17 says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What James is telling us and what you and I have to do when facing temptation is get our eyes off of things down here that are shifting shadows. I think I've got to have this. I want to go down this path. It's all shifting. What feels good today will feel terrible a moment later. We've all been there. Just like that little video of Levi, the minute he ate, he didn't even have the food digested before he felt terrible about it. It's all shifting shadows. But the Bible says we ought to look at the good and the perfect gifts that are above. In other words, remind yourself that you have a purpose in this world, that God has a plan for your life. And it's higher than this low level of temptation. It's higher than the things that are on this earth. And when Jesus said, you're going to get a crown of life, what he meant was there's a purpose for you. Abundant life is what he has for you. You've got to get your eyes off of those other things. The apostle Paul said, with every temptation, God will provide a way out. You got to find that way out. It might be godly friendships. It might be getting away. It might be running. You know, one of the most famous cases of, of getting away from temptation comes from an Old Testament story of a guy named Joseph. Joseph had great gifts and God gave him dreams of the great man he was one day going to become. And he was working for a wealthy man and the wealthy man had a beautiful wife who wanted Joseph. She chased after him. In fact, she thought that he was the man of her dreams. Joseph had a decision to make. Am I the man of my dreams, the dreams God gave me, or the man of her dreams? And the Bible says that as she reached and grabbed his clothes, his coat, he ran out and left his coat in her hands. And if you read the rest of his story, he found his dreams. See, you've got to pivot and find out what God has for you.